0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at Sojourntulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be um, diving back in to finish up chapter 6 and covering part of chapter 7. Um, and so as you get into um, different parts of different books of the Bible, um, when there's a, just a historical narrative, just meaning it's a, it's a story um, uh, of the history of, and so it's just a narrative, um, you, you, there, there's certain sections that kind of have a long running section. Um, and so this is one of those, chapters 6, 7, and 8 all kind of pieced together towards this transition that Luke's building upon. We're going to see that in just a second. But um, you have a choice either to either skip over. And so some people will say, um, hey, we're just going to read certain verses, like maybe two or three verses that bring out something in it, because if there's like 40 or 60 verses, um, we're just gonna hit on like two verses here and then skip over and hit on two or three here and then skip over on two or three here. Um, and that that's not bad or that's not evil. If you've ever done, there's some phenomenal places. Um, there's some people have a, a misunderstanding about exegetical or expositional preaching that that means that you have to go exactly word for word for word. And then like the, a uh, very uh, quality control people, you know, Nine Marks, Mark Dever. Um, I remember uh, I was around some guys that they were like, oh man, just, you know, you have to almost explain the word and in a verse, you know? And so they're like, oh, you have to just cover every single word. And there's some places that literally they'll spend, I know three or four places that have spent seven to eight to nine years on the book of John, seven or eight years on the book of John. Um, Romans, I, I, like I've heard of places going 12 to 13 years on the book of Romans. Now, that's a beautiful thing that you could do that, and I'm not saying that that's wrong at all. Um, I love chicken wings, but like chicken wings for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 13 years would be a lot, right? And so um, in that, uh, if, if you do that, you kind of hit different verses, that, that's not wrong, and still you can you can keep with the flow of that. Um, so um in this, I would rather, instead of skipping over, I want us to go ahead and read that. I believe there is just a blessing that comes out of reading that, but I did want to break it up into two different weeks. It'd be a lot to try to cover and bring out some of the things. There is some beautiful um, pictures that, that uh, Stephen is talking about that we're going to see, but also Luke is trying to build a little bit of a background. There is intention there, so We're going to look at that. Um, In Acts 1-8, so what we've been saying is the theme of this whole thing is Acts 1-8, the Spirit's going to come on you in power, and we've learned that that in power was about bold proclamation of the gospel. And as you're going to do this, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So now several months have gone on, um, and since Jesus has ascended up to heaven after the resurrection, and now they're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then there's the in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. Um, and so in that, Stephen's address here is one of the longest in the book of Acts. Um, and so why does Luke decide to give us parts of his communication with him because it's not really a sermon. Some people have said Stephen's sermon. It wasn't necessarily a sermon. Um, he's gathered together. Like if you guys were a court, a council, um, he was brought before them. Uh, Peter's was more like a sermon because it was out in front of people, but then also in this whole group. Um, Stephen's is more of just an address, and he, he pays for it with his life. Um, we, we see that um, the We're going to get to this point, so if you don't know, this is kind of a spoiler alert, but at the end of chapter 7, as they've already seized him, he gets very pointed. We're not going to see that today, but he gets very pointed that you, you guys who have seized me and grabbed me, you're the ones who crucified Jesus. All that I've been talking about, this is all building to show this was the Christ, and you killed the Christ. And so they came to Stephen with accusations, and at the end, he says, I've got accusations against you. And so in that, um, we, we see he's the first martyr. And so um, we get that uh, in, our, in our English language, martyr, from the Greek word, it's martus. And so what's beautiful about that is, is so what's, what's the theme of Acts? Acts 1-8, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And so now here's this and in this crazy, crazy blessing of God, pouring out His Spirit, people being saved, people come to salvation, miracles, people are healed, martyr, first martyr. Like, that's not church planting plan, right? Like, that's not like four months in and, so, and, and one of our guys gets um, martyred. But when you learn that martyr is being a witness. And so that in God's economy, um, what's crazy about this, in God's sovereignty— You can go back to Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? In the fiery furnace. They're they're giving a testimony of God. They're standing for God in faithfulness, and and God saves them. Um, Joseph, the story that he's going to hit on a little bit, um, with Potiphar's wife and all the different things, his brothers trying to betray him and have him killed, right? And God saves him. And all these different stories with David, repeatedly, 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 in, in, in turmoil, in difficulty, and God saves them out of those situations. Um, uh, Jonah, another story. God saves them out. And here's Stephen, that we've learned is just a servant. He's not looking for attention. He's just faithful. He's a servant. And then because of him being a servant and a witness, because he's living that out, they seize him and grab him and they come come and sit, give us give us why you're doing this, and they make all these accusations, and this guy gets killed. So why does God allow all these people to be saved in these situations and then allow Stephen, just a faithful servant, to die? Um, Some confusing things there. So we, we learn, we see the first martyr. It's it's one who bears a testimony. Um, and so he said, you're going to be my witnesses. So this main point that I want us to see is the backdrop here is you've got some transitions that Luke is doing, not in the details. So think through this forest, you see a whole forest. Instead of just going and focusing on every single tree and trying to dissect every single tree, if you step back and look at the bigger picture of the forest, what Luke's showing is we're about to go outside of Jerusalem. We're about to move to Judea and Samaria. Um, And so you will be my witnesses, Martus in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria. Um, This section, six, seven, and eight chapters, um, shows us the painful transition of this movement of Jesus' gospel and his kingdom beyond the confines of Jerusalem's walls. So think through that. Think through the physical boundaries. So you know, Jerusalem sets up on this this cliff and there are these walls and literally that gospel had been stuck inside there. That story of Jesus was inside that. And so it's going, this is beyond those walls. And then and also the tribalism of Judaism. So they had been performing all their rituals and sacrifices and practice of Judaism. And what this is showing, Luke is showing this. If we step back, he's showing I told you that Jesus said that you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, and they're not going to like that. It's outside of the walls of Jerusalem, and it's outside of the customs of Judaism. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So that's the painful transition. But it's also beauty because we're sitting here today because of that, right? We don't have to have a religion that's tucked away in a city in Israel. Um, so let's read 6, 8 through 7, 16. So it's a long section, but... Um, Um, Again, we wanted to break that up a little bit. So in verse 8 in chapter 6 says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking." Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him from brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and God's law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, And will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So notice those, those accusations that they've got against him. Specific accusations. They were false. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory Not even a foot's length, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac, and circumcision, I'm sorry, and circumcised him on the 8th day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his affliction, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent, sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, seventy five persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your um, gracious plan. For these people that we don't know, that we've heard stories about from little songs as kids, uh, Father Abraham, um, to the depth of meaning that that carries with that And, and the depth of who you are your identity, um, your very being as the one who created every single thing and and owns us, who owned Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who owned Israel. And and though the world around them were were focused on idols and false gods and false religion, you sent a remnant. uh, You sent salvation to a people. Um, They didn't understand Jesus and his cross. They didn't understand that God was coming to, to die for them but they understood trusting in you and faith in you and that you were a good God that had a future hope of heaven, that had a future place for them to spend eternity with you. They understood obedience. They understood how great of a God you are. And so we we pray that you would help us to wrap our minds around this. And we pray for the Spirit to do work in us as we see this powerful um, section that Luke provides for us in Acts. In your name we pray. Amen. So um, some beautiful stuff there, um, and I wanted to just see, first of all, again, let, let's see these transitions. So it, you're not going to see the word transition, but I had three, uh, some, a slide there that had three of the transitions up there. And so the first one, um, just kind of make note of these as we're going through. Um, it's a transition from the apostles to the church. So think through, notice there in, in, in chapter 6, Um, That first verse that we read, um, after we get through the the first part, that when they chose those, um, they selected those um, um, deacons there, and Stephen was one of those seven selected. Notice that first verse in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. All Luke's doing is, is wanting us to notice this. Who had been working in great grace and power before that? The apostles. It was only the apostles. So you have this transition going from the apostles to people inside the church. So that's a beautiful thing. That, that, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the way that you want to see a church working, where it's not the paid pastors or just the elders or pastors, the ones who are doing all the work. You see that the same work, grace and peace, and all these works are going through the congregation. And so that's a beautiful thing. That, that That's a little groundwork and a foundational thing for the church to understand that. And so um, it, it's a transition from the apostles to the church. Um, and then secondly, this transition from Judaism and its practices, and I, I use that word practices purposely, to a Christian theology. So they're moving from Judaism and its practices, a lot of rituals. I mean, think through, you read that, you know, do you enjoy reading Leviticus and Deuteronomy, or does it make you feel like you're losing your salvation? You're like... Uh, like there's not a tree in our yard that we walk around 10 times, stick a little stick in and then do this little chant or something. Like It seems like there's all these little rituals like why is that happening? Why do they have to do that? And so um, that's what they had been practicing all these different rituals and practices and now it's to a Christian theology. And what I mean by that, it's it, he's going to get to this, it's all about Christ and his cross. It's all about salvation in Christ. Um, seems clear to us but, but for them, this was a huge transition. We're going to look at that. And then also this transition of, transition of witnesses in Jerusalem to witnesses beyond Jerusalem. We're seeing these events, these crazy events of this guy, Stephen, being killed is going to be used by God to get the gospel outside. So turn and look in, in chapter 8. So... Again, spoiler alert, if you didn't know, Stephen dies here at the end. We're going to get to that next week. But then notice what happens in chapter 8. So they kill Stephen at the end of chapter 7. And then look in verse 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Stephen's killed. Saul's standing there approving of it. They throw his clothes down there, and he's approving this, and now there's great fear. This is getting serious. Jesus was killed. We knew this was going to happen. He told us, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We said there's going to be problems if we try to be witnesses here in Jerusalem. Look, Stephen gets killed. And so a great persecution arose in Jerusalem, and they were what? All scattered. Where were they scattered to? Throughout the regions of Judea Judea in Samaria. Isn't that beautiful? Look at God's plan. Who wants me, Stephen? No. Uh, can I just stand back? Like Stephen's just a servant. you know? He's like washing dishes, helping like, hey, these widows, they just need a little bit more food. What did you say? Yeah, you're wrong about that. And he just starts giving a witness about Christ, and the next thing he sees, and the next thing he's killed. Like, that wasn't the plan on Monday morning, right? That wasn't what he woke up thinking, oh, I'm going to end up dying being the first martyr. And yet, God uses that that crazy situation to go. Here's Acts one eight, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so, and who was scattered? Notice this. The next line says, except the apostles, who was scattered? The church. So people start going, hey, if this Christianity is spreading, we've got to get out of Jerusalem. So then we could judge them and go like, oh, you should be bold. You should go out in the streets and proclaim it just like Peter Peter did and just like Stephen. For whatever reason, God used the scattering of the saints. The church starts spreading and you'll see what happens there. Philip, another um, one of the deacons that were selected, he, he goes and he takes it beyond. And so notice the apostles stay in Jerusalem. Why was God doing that? He needed a foundational thing. So what God's doing not in Scripture that you're going to see, but what God was doing was those apostles were battling all these truths and getting down foundational truths that begin to spread as churches spread. And as Paul and Barnabas and those guys start planting churches later on, they're, they're taking truths from those original apostles. You guys were with Jesus. What did he say? What did he say? Oh, thank you, Matthew, for having that written down. Thank you, Luke, for having that written down. Thank you, Mark, for having that written down. They're going to plant churches, reading these New Testament letters, not just preaching from the Old Testament. Hey, this is what happened. This is from the guys who were with Jesus. This was spreading all over. The apostles were the foundational level in Jerusalem. And then notice the next line. Um Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. God uses Stephen's death in this situation, to spread the gospel through the church. Not even the apostles. The apostles stay there. So some beautiful stuff that comes out there. So let's look at this first transition from apostles to the church body. Um, Persecution turned to Stephen. Um, So we've seen that doing God's will, being obedient, living faithfully, just serving, does not necessarily mean no problems for your life. So obedience Faithfulness, trying to follow God's will, it it does not equate to no problems. And, And so God was working powerfully through the Spirit with all these things. And it says that Stephen had the same grace and power, and this was the next line of, of the disciples of Christ. So that's saying that these apostles, even though they were foundational and very, very important, mainly for our doctrinal truths, and that's what the apostles were for, and God using that power uh, to draw in people to listen because of the, the great miracles and signs that were happening, and then they were the foundational fathers for that, for the, for the doctrines of the church. And so in that, now God is starting to just just get people that were captivated in Christ, that were amazed by Christ, and sending them out. Um, So a beautiful picture there of transition there. All of this happens just because of his faithfulness. Again, Stephen wakes up on a Monday or whatever day it is, and he's just going, I'm just going to go take care of the widows again. And so he's doing his job and doing different things and serving the church also. And then the next thing you know, he's brought before this council. And so just being faithful, you never know what you're being faithful may lead to. Now, hopefully it won't lead you just to death, Right. But that didn't happen with everyone. But, but just waking up going, I'm just wanting to be faithful. I am just wanting to be faithful in small little things. It, it matters. It affects God's kingdom. It affects the gospel and the kingdom of God. And all of that, all this persecution, all these things come on him. Just because of his union with Christ, all this is persecution because of his union, um, and, and so these guys raise up, uh, and it's called the the, um, and they want to argue with him the synagogue of freedmen. Now it, it gives a there's a there's a, a little bit better uh, clarity on a translation there. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of freedmen. Uh, it says Cyrenians, Alexandrians. So we know that it's talking about. Um, Cyrene um, and also Alexandria were in Egypt. so um, there were some people from there, they were freedmen, and what that means were they had probably been Jewish heritage people, people of Jewish descent with Jewish blood. and during the captivities in the sixth, seventh, and eighth um, uh, BC. Um, centuries, they were taken off. So we know that with Nehemiah and all those, some of those who had been taken captive, they were slaves in other places. Then the Romans come in and take over from Babylon. And so now I'm still a slave. Now I'm a Roman slave. But then after working some time off in different provinces, the Romans just said, we're going to free you guys. So they were free. And now what do you think they did when they had been fr- not been able to worship their God, do their um, practice of Judaism, maybe for generations. And now they're able to do that. They come back together. Now they were We're not in the same synagogue. When this says the synagogue of the freedmen, it was probably different synagogues because you've got guys from Cyrene and Alexandria, Egypt, those from Cilician, Asia, that's Asia Minor, and then also you've got some that are from in Jerusalem. Those are all different linguistic and also different cultural things. I did not know this, but in Jerusalem alone, they said there were over 450 synagogues. That's not the temple, the big temple we see. 450 different synagogues. That's a lot. Like I mean, that's like Tulsa with churches, right? And so everyone had different uh, cultural and ling- linguistic. Now remember, Jerusalem was kind of one of those the center of that as far as people traveling. Remember all the the, the reason they would do that. You go, well, why would they have that many synagogues? Because people traveled from all different places if they had a Jewish heritage. Remember that they would kind of do a. a uh, traveling back to there a couple of times a year for different things. And sometimes you would save up and you'd go back. And so that's what's going on there. And they've got these differences um, and they're arguing for these things. Here's the things that they stood for. Old Testament law of Moses. That's what they're fighting for. Monotheism. They were, where they're fighting for a holy view of the temple because we see in, in this narrative that the, one of the charges they, they bring up is he's saying bad stuff about our temple. Why was that such a big deal? Not only did they, that were they very proud of the ornate, um, beautiful things about the temple. They really equated the temple with God, right? So they they saw that, that he, they're defaming God and this temple, this place. Um, also, um, their Jewish rites and rituals. So so Judaism as a whole. And as they're kind of escalating this argument, um, they, they get others to make up false accusations against him. And so they bring them into this courtroom. So can you imagine sitting in this kind of courtroom setting with these powerful leaders and you're like, man, I was just washing dishes. I'm not one of the apostles. I'm just a servant. I'm a lowly, humble servant. And God was using him powerfully. And now they bring in people with false accusations. And and like you're sitting there going, that's not true. And they they parade these people that have been taught to say something that's completely false. They literally told them, go in and say this in front of the council or you're going to be in trouble. And so they go in and they lie about him. And he, he, like, how unfair. And and think through for Stephen, like, God are you seeing this? Like, it's going to get worse, too. Like, at that point, that's bad. None of us would want to go to a trial and have false accusations, like people saying, yes, I saw him doing this and this. And you're like, I never did that. That would would seem like so unfair. Like, where's God in that? And guess what? That's light compared to what's about to happen. And so um, all of this is happening. And they say, and as they're gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like that of an angel. Now, there's only another place where uh, Scripture talks about someone's face shining like that with the glory of God kind of shining on Moses' face. Remember Moses' face there? The glory of God. So um, this is the only the second place in Scripture. It's not necessarily exactly the same, but the the... The going from Hebrew and the wording there for glory of God, and I forget the the terms for it, shining on Moses' face, and even in Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians three, um, with this picture of like an angel. Um, it, that that's the only other wording they have there. It wasn't his his face transformed to an angel, but they did know this. It was it was peaceful and calm and gentle. It was not angry and hostile at all and so he just goes into this story with them so so i want you to see that that don't miss that transition a focus from apostles to a regular person in the church, and I think that's important at this stage of um, Christianity in America, also for for the the church to own their part of that. To, to, it's, it's not about huge buildings and campuses. It's not about celebrity pastors. I mean, look look at some of the biggest people that have influenced you. If you think through some of the, you think through, oh well, hey, John Piper, or if it was uh, John MacArthur, or um, you know, whoever, um, uh, just Matt Chandler, or one of those guys, like have they really had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday influence on you? Sometimes that's not. Like, they may have had big themes, like big picture. I think Piper exploded people's view of God and made them kind of like, wow, I, I, could, I could never exhaust studying the, the beauty and greatness of this huge God. Like, it's, he's just magnanimous. And so, like, all those things. Um, and then just the cost of, that some people bring out in following Christ. Some beautiful things. But do they help on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? It's usually the people right around your life. It's the local body that are a part of life with you. When, uh, Piper doesn't know when, when your mother gets cancer, Um, uh, Matt Chandler doesn't know when when your your grandfather dies, right? Or when your your child goes into the hospital. It's the people around your life. And so uh, a beautiful picture there that that God wanted the local assembly um, to be the the, the church that's there. So there's this emphasis um, moving from um, the apostles to the church, but also this emphasis from um, transitioning away from Judaism. Um, They brought up these accusations there in 12 through 14. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. And we've heard him say that the Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered us. So we've been keeping all of Moses' law. Remember the crowd that he's talking to, they're the ones who even added to it. And they're going, he's wanting to do away with all of that. And you guys know Jesus, Jesus did this. And so, and probably what they're talking about, the temple, some people, we don't, Luke did not include what Stephen said in the argument to them, but they're accusing him of something about this temple and Jesus. Remember what Jesus had said, so it may have been Stephen quoting Jesus when he may have said something earlier like, Jesus said, uh, destroy, I'll, I'll come and destroy this temple and three days later I'll raise it back. And he was talking about the resurrection, right? And so remember Jesus saying that? He probably quoted that and they were like, remember when Jesus said that, they got highly offended. And again, it's not just the building, they that represented God to them. So these are huge transitions. So we've got to think through this. Stephen is seeing. There's something bigger going on here. There's a whole new order. They didn't use the word new covenant yet, right? Jesus had said a few times, this is the new covenant in my blood. They weren't putting this together yet. And so they're kind of learning. And so there's this new order with Jesus at the center. So think through the huge transitions, all of their customs, their beliefs, their transitions. Um, Think through this. I got a slide up there, of just the Old Testament law. Think through the Old Testament law. Think through the sacrificial system when you read the Old Testament. Um, Think through the dietary laws the societal laws, all those different things. Think through all those specific rules about the temple. And here they come and they go, we can take all that and not trash it. We don't do away with it. Like We don't do it to where we, it means nothing, but we don't have to go by those anymore. We don't live by those anymore because of Jesus. And so think through this. Jesus seemed to defy and discredit Moses' law. Remember, there's places and they're confused by that. So what was he actually doing? He was moving beyond the outward external things to the intent of the law. The, if you do the ritual, whether it's this, like, oh, man, I hate, God, this is so stupid. Just walking around this thing. Why do we have to do this three times? This is ridiculous. I hate this. It's such a waste. That I could be making so much money. Or, oh, God, you're so gracious to us. I'm so in love with you. I can't believe with all of my sin, the way I treat my family, the way I treat my co-workers, the way I treat all the, You're so gracious to me. You, I love you. Everything that I'm doing right now is just because of your grace and your mercy. I can't believe that you would forgive me for my sin. Do you see the difference? So the ritual wasn't the point. The intent of the law was a focused time of gazing your eyes on the greatness of God and being aware of your sin. So, Jesus come in teaching the intent of the law, all those places. You've been taught this, but actually this. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, some of you think, well, hey, I've never committed adultery. If you've even lusted at a woman, if you've lusted at a man, you've already committed adultery. Some of you say, well, I've never murdered anyone. I'm a lot better than those people. If you've had anger in your heart, he was going to the intent of the law. Beautiful things there. Um, and so think through this. Instead of those things, focus on those, now teach that repentance and faith are the requirement of the new covenant. First of all, just having faith in Christ and repentance. That's the new covenant. Um, those former st- steps that you were doing in Judaism, they cannot save. They were never meant to save. That's shocking. Your whole life and your your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, literally 20, 30 um, uh, different generations going backwards. They all did it, and now I don't have to do that. We don't have to go Saturday and go to the temple. We don't have to go through those sacrificial systems. Now it's about repentance and faith. Um, One of the first classes in seminary that I had, it kind of shocked me because I was so excited to be in there. It was one of the first classes, and it was a theology class, a systematic theology class, and we had to write this long, like 10-page paper on penance. And I thought, out of all the stuff, like my first papers on penance? And then I get into, and it was, it was just overwhelming once you got into it. And then I get into a really great counseling class, and this guy, Stuart Scott, who had been uh, head of MacArthur's counseling lab there in, at, um, out there in California, and then they, Moeller stole him to um, Louisville. And so he's got this class in, in like one of the first papers on penance. And I was like, golly, what's going on? Well, think through the things that we do to try to remove guilt or sin, man, I really blew it last week. I'm really going to get focused. I'm I'm really going to get this quiet time. Really going to watch my mouth. I'm not going to talk about those things anymore. I'm going to really make sure that I'm doing this. I just need longer prayer time. I need a little. More, I can't do these little two minute prayers driving in the car anymore. I need some ten minute, fifteen minute prayer. Because I feel that guilt. Penance. That's what penance is. It's powerful. If you struggle with legalism, penance is powerful. If you struggle with um, licentiousness, penance is powerful. The things that we do in obedience to try to remove that that guilt. It's free. He paid that. We just as humans, we can't get out of that thinking. So beautiful picture there. Like, hey, all your Old Testament laws, all those little um, rituals that you did. It's all in Jesus now. It's all in Jesus. Well, if we if we if we teach people that, aren't they just going to go and uh, sin freely? Aren't they just going to run to sin then? They don't understand the gospel, so you just keep teaching them the gospel. Well, if we give them all this grace and tell them not to worry about all these things, just think through what they were thinking about, and we deal with it in our day. Um, so they're not so crazy after all. Um, Stop sacrificing all the animals. No more blood, no more animals of a guilt offering or a sin offering. Now I'll teach that salvation only comes through the one-time sacrifice of this guy. And for this council, he was talking to, you're the ones who killed the guy. So stop your gathering your animals. Stop worrying about the unblemished sheep. No longer have to do that. Don't take your doves up there. Don't take your animals for any sacrifices. You don't have to do that. Instead, now teach salvation only in the one-time sacrifice of Christ. So again, for us, is that what you're resting in? Three different guys this week. All go to church, just dads around our boys. We begin talking immediately. Yeah, I don't know the Bible real good. Don't, don't know much about church. Wasn't raised in church, but man, I just think it's important to raise our kids, take them to church. We got to do the best that we can do. Is that resting in Christ? So that gives me a beautiful picture of their worldview, right? Stop doing the temple rites and the rituals. Start teaching salvation is found only in Jesus' obedience. And we, the people of God, we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to that temple anymore. You don't have to go to that place. So there's nothing about a specific place. That's beautiful for us. Like We're meeting in a gym, in a school. That's beautiful. The church plants should really celebrate this. Like, it's not about how big your campus is or what your building looks like. The Spirit of God is indwelling the people, right? Stop teaching added laws from the Old Testament. The Pharisees and Sadducees would teach. Now connect all the teachings from the Old Testament to point to Jesus and start worshiping Jesus in song and teaching. So again, um, think through this huge paradigm shift from a very advanced, systematized, meticulous Judaism to this new sect of christianity. So this was this was shocking and it was blasphemous to them uh, because they were it seemed like they were saying do away with the temple, do away with Moses' law and you don't have to worry about all those things. You don't have to worry about the sacrifices. There's only one sacrifice. There's no longer a temple that's important. Our bodies are the temple. That's nuts. That would be crazy to them. So think through all they 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 get into. And they're connecting the dots there. So Abraham's storyline, as he goes into this storyline, we don't have all the arguments that that he went into. But think through this. Even to this day, what is the problem in the Middle East? The things that were given to Abraham. So think through, I have a slide there that shows. um, Connecting the dots, even this early day, it was about living by faith as a sojourner. In Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. Hey, hey, Abraham. Um, leave your father's household and your your kindred and all your people and go to the land that I will show you. Didn't even say go to this place and stop. And so I have a map. I think I even have a map up there. Well, let's stay there. Stay there. Of that. So living by faith as a sojourner, trusting God. And then remember, the biggest thing was a people and a land and a covenant. That's the three things for all of Israel. A people... I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and your your descendants are going to be more than the stars in the sky. And he tells that to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob repeatedly, right? So a people, a nation that had been oppressed, and then a land. I'm going to give you a land. Abraham never got to inherit the land. Remember Moses and his group? They come out of Egypt. And then Moses them get to go into it, and get to see it, but then don't get to live there. So Joshua is the one who actually gets the land. So you got Joshua, and then those guys afterward, David and Solomon. We've got our land, our boundaries, and then because of their sin, um, they're they're split, and you got the the different tribes of Judah and Israel. And then also um, through that, a promised son, the miracle son, Abraham to Isaac. But then in that, what's the famous picture that that all Jews knew about? The famous picture, if. Our whole offspring, we're not a nation yet, and God had promised him, and it was like 40 years later when, when Isaac's born, and then what does God tell him to do? Go and sacrifice your son. What was that a picture of? And so there's this picture of uh, Abraham about to take his son's life, and angel of the Lord stops him, and what are they, what's brought instead of the son, who is the, the son of promise, the son of the people that's going to bring the offspring. God says, to bring about that people, I've got a scapegoat. Don't hurt your son. There's a scapegoat. There's a substitute that you're going to sacrifice instead. They knew all those things, and that's what Stephen brings out to them. This is the 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 depth that they understood. We don't understand that about Abraham. We we don't treasure Abraham like that. Like again, like ours is like Father Abraham. man He said, and that's about as deep as we get on Abraham, right? Like that's about all we appreciate. Like uh, we don't even have like little pictures of him. And but so the, the Abrahamic covenant was huge. Um, so then when you keep going and you look at this picture of the map, I've got a, a map slide. So he starts down here on the bottom right over there in the in the land of the Chaldeans. So that's Ur. His dad was pretty rich. Um, they had a lot of stuff. And then they moved north to Haran. They didn't go directly to the, the promised land yet. They went in, up into the land of Haran. And then they go south later on after um, Abraham's father dies. And so um, in that, you saw him step out in faith. And so in all those things, you see that Luke's kind of bringing about this, this idea and, and he's showing him that. And what's amazing about this, it actually seems like the Bible disagrees on this, but actually um, in the, the story in Genesis, um, it's, it's showing that where, he, where God called him and went to that land, Haran. Um, a lot of people think that it was in Haran, the second point up there is where God called him. It was actually in the land of the Chaldeans in Ur. And so, and Stephen's one who the New Testament gives us a better commentary on that. And so um, he he traveled the whole time, not knowing where God was going to lead them, and 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 he follows in faithfulness and obedience. So let's look at some of those things there Um, as as we transition now. Now we're looking at this idea of going from witnesses in Jerusalem to now witnesses in uh, beyond Jerusalem, and why that's important is they had the things that he goes into. Stephen goes into it, it was all. Um, about destroying their idea that God is only with us in Jerusalem, God is only with the temple, and God is only with us Israelites. And so Stephen's starting to open that up, And then he's going to go into Joseph's stories and the patriarchs. And then he's going to go into Moses and Solomon and David and, and again, the temple. And so we're not covering those today, but that's what he's going into. But he's defending these accusations against him, but he's also building the case towards Christ. So first of all, he goes into the Abrahamic covenant. He says, our father Abraham was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said from there, go out from your land and your kindred. And go to the land I'll show you. So the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Um, And and the point of that is God didn't come to Abraham when he was in Israel in this land. God is a God that's beyond the borders of Israel. God went and pursued him. It wasn't that he called him from Israel and said, hey, you're over there. I'm over here. You need to make your way here. No, he went to him in a foreign land. It's not about Israel, it's not about Jerusalem. And then also, this is huge, the glory of God was not about a place as he went to the to to the land of Ur. God's glory is not tied to that particular place. Um, it's, supremely is, it's supremely important as we're about to see the gospel spread to these different nations, moving to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And also the glory of God is not just for Israel. Um, he showed them that this is not just for, for, for you guys now. And so they did not like to hear this. This is only for us. This is only for those who are circumcised. This is only for those of Jewish heritage. This is only for us in Jerusalem and, and our little communities. And, and they didn't like to hear that. Um, and he talks about this future promised land. He said in verse 4 there, And his, after his father died, God removed him from there into this land. So God brought him from Haran, where the father died, to the land that you're now living Um, And he gave him no inheritance of it, not not even a foot's length. Um, And to his offspring after him, he had promised these things even though he had no child. So he's making these promises even though he had no child. So you see this again, that the big things for them was a a future land, a future offspring of people. Um, And and in that, um, you see God's faithfulness to Abraham through all of that. And that's why he's laying out there, God's faithfulness to Abraham that that eventually went to Israel. And look in verse 6 there. His offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. And so in that story, God even shows, hey, as I give you this land and you're going to go into this land, the, the Egyptians are going to come and they're going to take over you, and then you're going to be slaves for 400 years. Well, I thought we were the people of promise. I thought that being obedient to you, God, and following you, God, would only lead to blessings and and, and comfort and ease. And he's going, no, there's there's bad news that comes with uh, even being the people of promise. Um, Think through God's sovereign affliction for the Hebrews. Um, People in Egypt as slaves, that creates the need for God as the redeemer. So the picture of Israel, in slavery there, creates a need for a redeemer, right? And so remember um, what the, the book of Ruth? A kinsman redeemer, that, that picture of that Savior, that, that one who would save them. And So the picture of Moses and them going out and, and crossing through uh, the Red Sea, and the waters divide divided, and they go across the other side, and then as their captors come to pursue them, God destroys them there. Um, and so they're set free. And so repeatedly after that point, what does God refer to himself for a thousand years, uh, a couple thousand years, is, is like, you know me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who delivered you out of the land of slavery, repeatedly. He, he didn't say, hey, the God who's going to send his son to pay for your sins. You know me, you can trust in me, the sovereign God who brought you an, out of the land of slavery. So I'm a trustworthy, faithful God. And so um, he gave them the sign of circumcision also, um, the sign of the covenant. Um, When you think about that that picture of them being redeemed from the land of slavery as God's people, what was the picture there? What's the picture for us? Um, It's that repetitive theme for us, sin and slavery. Sin and slavery and being redeemed out. We need a redeemer. God was painting a picture there for us with that. Um, As circumcision was the sign of the covenant, what's the sign of the new covenant? Um, Baptism. He has changed my life. He has redeemed me. He has saved me out of this slavery to sin. And now I'm a new person in Christ. I'm baptized in Christ, in the Trinity. And so God was faithful Giving all those things, and so a beautiful picture. And then he goes on to the last story there with Joseph and the patriarchs. Um, And as the 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 biggest thing about Joseph and the patriarchs is, notice there in verse nine, um, the patriarchs they were jealous of Joseph. Hint, hint. This council leaders. This is what you've got a problem with Jesus. That's why you're mad at Peter and John. Remember we talked about the apostles while they were jealous of them. Or early on he had said that, and so now. He's saying in the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph. They sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor. And so we know that's the story of Joseph that he brings down. So um, it's, it's difficult because there's a lot that you could go into. You don't want to just go into all the details of each one of those stories. But, but notice this. Um, there's some that will say this. Now this is a little side note, kind of a geeky theological side note. When you look at Old Testament stories, you look for antitypes and types. And a lot of people want to say that Joseph is a type of Christ. To be a true type of Christ in scholarly forms, the New Testament has to label you as a type of Christ. So um, he's not actually a type of Christ because in the New Testament, there are times that, the Bible uses an Old Testament character and says that was a type of Christ in, in the New Testament states that. It never does that with Joseph, interestingly. There are things tied to Joseph's life. So think through, Joseph was given over due to envy and jealousy and hatred. That's what was going on with Jesus, right? Right. Um, Joseph was betrayed by his closest brothers. Um, Jesus betrayed by his closest disciples. Joseph was delivered on false accusations of uh, different people, but including Potiphar's wife. Jesus was brought on false accusations. Joseph's deliverance led to the deliverance of his brothers. Jesus defeated death and sin and has provided ultimate salvation for all of his people. So some beautiful stuff there that he brings out. beyond all that, you see this, this beautiful picture emphasizing faith, and also Luke is showing us the transitions as we're going from um, the, the, the people being inside, being witnesses inside Jerusalem, to now being witnesses outside. That we're going to see as we get in next week in the end of chapter 7, and then like we read in, in the start of chapter 8, that now the gospel starts taking traction outside of Jerusalem. So um, let's think through, just in closing, some walkaways. First of all, Stephen is reminding them and us of God's faithfulness in his redemptive plan of salvation. So he's talking to this council and going, you guys know the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It was a picture of enslavement and God redeemed them. It was a picture of redemption there. God is faithful in his redemptive plan. And he builds eventually in this next week to the, the death of Jesus, fulfilled all of the Old Testament stories. And then secondly, for those listeners, for those in the crowd, they were extremely moral. They were extremely religious. They knew God's law. They were the most obedient and pious ones, yet they were outside salvation. Man, again, two or three things this week, even besides the couple of guys I talked to, when I think through the Bible Belt, it seems like there's just so many people who know about God or know about church or know the facts about Jesus. But when you go deeper, it seems they're outside of salvation. They know about the things, but they're outside. Probably people all around your life, neighbors, who if you just ask them, hey, you just knock on the door and like, you and your family all going to heaven? Oh, sure, yeah. Because I hadn't seen you guys ever go to church in like the last 14 years that we've lived here. Yeah, I mean, we got it. Jesus died on the cross. God loves us. You want me quote John 3.16 for you? And so that's where we live. But yet, all these people, much more grounded in all those truths. Much more grounded in those things. And even knowing in our day, the Bible Belt, the specific, not the general knowledge, general revelation of God in creation or even the Old Testament, but the specific knowledge of Christ and his cross. And people just take it for granted. Well, I know the facts, but it's never become captivating to them. So third there is your faith. Your salvation cannot rest in your parents or your family's religious background, nor your head knowledge. And so that's good for kids, and that's good for us adults. If, if, if there's parts of you that's in this little cycle of penance to go, man, God, is my faith resting in Christ alone and what he's accomplished? Is my faith resting in what you accomplished on the cross for me, not, not how good I'm trying to be? Um, and so that, that leads to the fourth one there. The Holy Spirit wants to work on us this morning. You're going to respond by either confessing your sin and repenting or leave this place wanting to just hide your sin and continuing to hide sin and have a hardened heart to that. So think through those things. Um, God's Word and Spirit today would have us consider what we're resting our faith on as Stephen has brought out just these things about Abraham and the patriarchs and Joseph as we go into this story. Let me pray as Brad comes back up. Father, we do come to you um, thanking you for your word. Um, We are a people that very easily lose sight. We very easily are um, distracted. We are drawn to comfort, to ease, to um, the, the path of least resistance, whether that's in relationships, whether that's in communication, whether that's with a lost culture whether that's with um, the people around our lives, family members, we are drawn to the path of least resistance. Um, And Father, um, that doesn't mean that we need to turn into uh, attacking people, um, but but to be gracious people that are faithful. We see Stephen here being faithful with these things in a loving, concerning way. And then he's going to get specific, Lord, about the cross. And so we know that we are a people that need to have our blinders removed that we need for you to show us more about this beauty and this this person of Christ. We thank you that that you've provided all this, that we don't have to go through all of the uh, sacrificial systems, that that we have one sacrifice. That it's not about uh, the temple rituals, but instead it's that we are the people of God meeting together, gathering together for your glory, to hear from your word, to be changed by your spirit and to go out on mission together um, proclaiming and living out this, this new covenant. And so we thank you for those things that we see in today's um, lesson. We thank you for um, your word that brings these things to clarity, and we pray that you'd help us to understand the, those transitions that you've done in the early stages of the church, and that you're still on ongoing and still doing in our lives in 2023. We pray that you'd draw in lost people that need to hear the message. We pray that you'd give us this boldness of the spirit that that we see emphasized here, that we would be able to just have conversations um, with people around our lives, um, to call them to Christ. Um, we thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for the work you're doing in us. Help us to be a people that, that enjoy you and the salvation that you provided. In your name we pray. Amen.